0: Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. This series features real conversations with real experts, real parents, and real educators, so families can get the real behind-the-scenes story on what's happening in education. Get the inside scoop on how to help your child become successful in and out of school. As parents, we know that your child can sometimes forget to share the notes from their backpack that tell you everything that's happening at their school. That's why we've launched this podcast just for you. Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast.
1: Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. I'm your co host, LaWanda Tony, Director of Strategic Communications at National PTA. And
2: I'm Helen Westmoreland, Director of Family Engagement at National PTA.
1: So it's our final episode of season two. And I've got to admit, this season has been different than we'd expected. I've appreciated the opportunity to talk with experts about some of the serious issues that COVID-19 has brought into our lives. Plus, we had some fun covering some lighter topics like bonding with our families around reading and science activities. That's
2: right, Luanda. I feel like I've also learned a ton. But the truth is, there's still a whole lot I feel unsure about. I'm thinking about the last three months and wondering... What can we take away from all of this? What have we learned about distance learning, about creating plans to support all kids? And most of all, how can we take our experience during this pandemic to inform what school's reopening will look like next year?
1: I know, Helen. I've been thinking about that a lot. Those are tough questions, and I certainly don't have the answers. This school year, the only thing I'm certain of is that it'll be anything but normal.
2: That's right. Well, thankfully, we have an expert here today who can help us reflect on the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact it's had on our kids and our families. Today, we're welcoming Amalia Chamorro, Associate Director of Education Policy at Unidos US, which is the nation's largest Latino civil rights organization. Amalia has 15 years of experience in public policy, advocacy, and community and government relations at the local, state, and federal levels. She studied political science at UCLA and earned her JD from Boston College Law School. Welcome to
0: the show, Amalia. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So
1: tell us about yourself. How did you become focused on education policy and what makes you passionate about this work?
0: Sure. Well, education's always been just a huge thing in my family. So both my parents were teachers, So growing up, I would go with them to the classrooms, help them decorate their classrooms. During the summers, they taught summer school. When I was older, right, I would go and help out and tutor some of the younger students. So it was just always a big part of my family, coming from a family of educators. And so while I never became a teacher myself, I did see the need both through my parents' experiences, but then as my own experience as an English learner and my peers in terms of not everyone having the same opportunities to have educational success and go on to college, that always stuck with me because I remember I was one of just a handful of Latino students from my school in the Central Valley in California that was actually able to attend the four-year college or university. So that's something that obviously my parents were very proud of, but at the same time, I almost had this guilt that a lot of my friends and peers were left behind. So When I went to UCLA and studied public policy, I had this urge and this passion to become an advocate and to really focus my career to become a public policy advocate so that I could have a part in shaping the laws and shaping policies. And so that's what impacted my desire to become an advocate and to focus on a career in public policy.
2: Thank you for sharing that. I think Volanda's parents were both educators, am I right?
1: They were, they were both teachers and I have those same memories of going to decorate the classroom in the summers <laughs> and summer school and checking papers. And I did not pursue a career in teaching either, but glad that I'm a part of education for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Amalia, um, I, I want to jump in with you just to do a little bit of laying the groundwork about some of the great things that you and Unidos US have been doing. Could you tell us a little bit about what you and Unidos US have been learning about how COVID 19 is affecting the families in your network? Sure. When things
0: rapidly shifted in March, when schools started to close down and Teachers and students were switching over to virtual learning and that transition was super quick. And then also parents who some of them still had to go to work because they were essential workers. Some of them had to stay home and work from home. But we've also seen a lot of parents lose their jobs. So, that's had a huge Mm. impact on families. So, from the beginning, we've been checking in with our network of affiliates, which are community based organizations across the US who provide services to their communities, ranging from food assistance to housing counseling to after school tutoring. So, we've been checking in with them pretty regularly just to find out how they were coping, how the families that they were serving, what they were experiencing what the gaps and the needs were so that we could lift up those stories and those needs to do the advocacy that we knew we had to do here at the federal level. It's definitely been sobering just to hear some of these really heart-wrenching stories. And the thing is that a lot of these gaps with respect to healthcare access Jobs. These are issues that were already happening to our families before the pandemic, but have only been exacerbated Mm -hmm. even more with the situation with businesses being shut down. Many Latino families are entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and are small business owners, so they've been hit as Mm -hmm. well. But also there's the stress that the families are feeling that trickles down to the children. That's something that we can't forget. We know that while there's the academic gaps that we need to pay attention to, we also can't lose sight that this is having a stressful impact and a mental health crisis that's also being exacerbated because of everything that's going on and just the fear and the trauma and everything that comes with that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that definitely is heart wrenching, like you said. It's a lot. Unidos US is one of National PTA's most trusted advocacy partners. Can you tell us about some of the advocacy you have been doing recently around how students and families are being supported
0: during the pandemic? On the education front, we did make sure to do our part to have additional funding for education that would go to the states for them to be able to support the school districts in this rapid shift. To E-learning because many teachers didn't have the training, the professional development to do that rapid switch. So we know that it did take Mm -hmm. some schools some time to actually be able to make that transition. We also knew from hearing from our families that many families didn't have their own computers their own devices, or even broadband connectivity to actually be able to have their children log in to the e-learning platform. Mm. And that the parents themselves needed to also know how to navigate, how to help their children log in and make sure that they were doing a lesson plan. So it's definitely taken some time, still more work to be done in that area. And we're glad to see funding specifically for education in the CARES Act. And then last week, the House did pass an additional stimulus bill called the HEROES Act. And that actually has four times the amount of money that was included in the last package specifically for education. One of the things that we did push for in the K-12 bucket was dedicated funding, though, for English learners, because we know that that's one -hmm. of the most underserved student populations that already experience wide achievement gaps. And because of the language barrier with parents too, that's a huge challenge to make sure that parents of English learners are informed about the school's Mm -hmm. plans, both with e-learning, but also with reopening when that happens. So to make sure that those parents are not left out of being engaged of those plans and
2: decisions and can help their children navigate those shifts. Hmm. Thank you for bringing us up to speed a little bit on some of the current landscape and policy solutions that are out there. I want to fast forward a little bit. You mentioned in our chat before we started recording, looking into a magic ball, a crystal Mm -hmm. ball. I'm guessing that you Between your affiliates and some of the education circles you're in, you're also hearing about some of the options that are being put Mm -hmm. on the table for school opening. Could you tell us a little bit about those? What sort of proposals are school districts even considering right now?
0: Sure. I think any idea that's going to keep students both safe as well as teachers and school staff safe while not continuing to disrupt the school experience and the learning, all those options are on the table. And schools and districts are trying to be creative about how to create that space because it is still uncertain and up in the air come the fall, whether schools will actually be able to physically reopen, or if they are, what that looks like. And so some of the ideas and proposals that we have heard that schools are considering are this concept of year-round school, which is essentially shifts of students, like groupings of students coming in at different times. Hmm. I know in California, which is where I grew up, and my mom was an elementary school teacher, year-round was a big model, at least it was back then, where there were three or four different groupings of students so that not all students were there at the school at the same time. Mm. That's one idea that might work. If we're trying to keep the social distance, if we're worried about a second wave coming or we still don't have the adequate treatments and it's very likely we're not going to have a vaccine by the fall, at least that's what the health experts tell us. That's one idea that we've heard. We've also heard ideas of having a hybrid or blended model where kids and students switch off between in classroom and continuing to do the virtual learning. It's not like there's a right or wrong answer or right or wrong way to do this. I think schools are trying to be both creative and trying to make sure that they, first and foremost, which we agree with, is keeping students and staff safe mm. and healthy and avoid further exacerbation of covid infections that's number 1 but then also as educators doing everything they can do to make sure that students don't fall further behind so those are just a couple of mm. models ideas that we have heard discussed
2: mm. and could you talk a little bit more about the impact of some of those different ideas and what unidos us is thinking about in terms of what might be best for your families and communities? So we know that there's typically already a
0: summer learning loss, right? Because there's a big break between the end of the school year and then the fall. That can be a very opportunistic time to try to make up some of the learning loss that has occurred over the last two months since school started to shut down. And it took folks some time to actually get acquainted and comfortable with the virtual learning. And so whatever can be done in the summer to start to make up some of that time is really important. And that's something that we've been advocating also for additional funding from the federal government to be able to provide states with that kind of support. And then also come fall and throughout next year we foresee that we're going to have to provide extra supports for all our students so that we are not contributing to this continuing widening of achievement gaps. We know that it's going to look a little bit different. A lot of states over the spring, because of everything that was happening, suspended assessments and testing, there needs to be flexibility around that. But we also can't reduce or lower the standards that we have and the expectations that we have for our education system. Mm -hmm.
1: We're going to take a quick break for a message from our National PTA President, Leslie Boggs. Hi, I'm Leslie Boggs, President of National PTA. We hope you're enjoying Notes from the Backpack. We know the issues we discuss are real for you and your family, and we want you to know that you're not alone. PTA is committed to supporting your child's success and well-being. Join our movement to build genuine relationships that create brighter futures for all of our children at pta.org slash for our kids. As we're talking about reopening, I know that a lot of parents feel like I do. Like, is there ever going to be an opportunity for us to get back to the way that we know school looked like? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Is that gone forever? Mm
0: hmm. That's a real question and that can be stressful. Mm -hmm. It's hard to answer that a hundred percent because we don't know yet how long this pandemic is going to last, how long it will take to find the vaccine, how long it will take for things to go back to quote normal. But I think this is definitely going to be one of those periods or markers in time where things do change. Yeah. And the normal that we used to know. That's in the past. Mm. So, what can we take? How can we make the best of this scenario Mm -hmm. to move forward? And even for me, (laughs) as someone who had to telework from home, right? And my colleagues Mm -hmm. do, I think the sudden shift in telework and Tell us, school, everybody was kind of uncomfortable at first, just trying to get used to and learn the new tools and platforms. This change did force us to get comfortable with the technology. And Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a bad thing because if we are trying to be competitive in the global economy and we're also trying to develop students to be college and career ready and be competitive in a 21st century workforce. We do want them to develop these technological tools and to get more comfortable with that. I see that as one of the bright spots, honestly, in terms of schools reopening and going back to a more physical learning setting. I think Having adapted to this e-learning, technological, virtual learning space and environment, not that that's going to replace in-classroom learning, but it can help augment that. And -hmm. that's something that I think a Mm -hmm. lot of schools, educators, parents and students might be thinking about.
2: Mm -hmm. I feel like even that statement probably varies depending on the family, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? So Mm -hmm. one of... My big takeaway so far this season is so much of what's going on with this pandemic is really specific to not just even your community, but your family. And National PTA and I know Unidos US really have a strong value that family and community voice are shaping some of the policies and informing some of these decisions that affect them. I'd love to switch gears and have you talk just a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of how districts are engaging families and thinking about what school opening might look like, and if they've had any missteps, what have those been, what not to do? We do encourage schools
0: and districts to step up their efforts and to be intentional about reaching out to parents, and especially to make sure that that Outreach is not only intentional, but also linguistically and culturally appropriate to make sure that all parents are working off of the same information and have access to the schools, because that's something that doesn't always happen. We are very much pushing for schools and districts to engage parents in a way that's very much intentional and to not make decisions without necessarily parental input, because at the end of the day, there are parents who are very much scared to send their children back to school. And we know Mm -hmm. for Latino families and other communities of color that have been disproportionately impacted by COVID, we actually released a poll this week with MoveOn and Somos, and we surveyed about 1,900 Latino adults from across the US, but one in four know someone personally who has been infected, and one in three actually know someone wow. who has died as a result of COVID. Oh, wow. So that's a real fear that I think we need to acknowledge, and schools need to acknowledge that parents mm-hmm. have. It's definitely necessary that parents be included in those decisions and those plans of how to reopen schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Things are moving so fast. It's just crazy how we're trying to figure out the summer figure out the end of Mm -hmm. school, and talk about reopening. How can families stay informed about the ever-changing situation with their school
0: reopening plans? That's right. I say bless parents because it's hard to be a parent (laughs) right now and try to keep up with children being at home Mm -hmm. all the time and multitasking more than ever. We know that many parents are working at the same time as trying to support their children at home to make sure that doing their schooling. We also know many parents are still essential workers, so actually have to go outside and work, right, and are afraid of coming back and infecting their families. And so looking ahead, parents are going to have to continue to pay attention. And just as we are urging schools and districts to be intentional about reaching out to parents, Parents are also mm-hmm. going to have to continue to keep on top of the information and the updates that their schools are putting out, whether that's signed up for the school newsletter or proactively reaching out to the teachers that they know or the administrator to ask questions. And we want to make sure that parents are informed as much as possible. And because the situation that we're in, it does feel sometimes that it changes from week to week. It's going to be really important for that to really be a two-way street for districts to do their part and schools to do their part to reach out to parents and then parents to also hold schools and districts accountable for the information that Mm -hmm. they need to make the best decisions for their
2: kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think families are going to have to be part of that conversation for all the reasons you shared, and that they've been the ones to have so much of the perspective on what's going on, not just in their household and with their child, but in their communities, particularly in the absence of having some of these formal assessments, right, that would normally happen Mm -hmm. at the end of the year. I learned a lot. Thank you so much, Amalia, for all of this great information and for joining us today. Yeah, glad to do it. This is
0: one of the bright spots. Mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to get bogged down by just the doom and the gloom that's surrounding us. And so I'm obviously very glad to have an opportunity to talk with you all. I want to make sure that we're sharing information, sharing resources, and that we're part of the solution.
2: Good. Well, that's a perfect segue. So you get to have a final closing thought for our listeners. Any final advice or resources that you would like mm-hmm. to offer as takeaways for the families who are listening? Yes, I want to just
0: send a message to parents that we know that you're doing the best that you can. So don't second guess yourself. And then, in terms of resources, we do want to share Unidos US, we launched a couple of years ago, but have been scaling an education news. Multimedia site that has resources for parents, educators, students, both in English and Spanish. And it's education news from a Latino perspective. It's called Progress Report, and the site is progressreport.co. So that's progressreport.co. And you can find blogs, resources, curriculums, tips for the environment that we're in for coping and learning and teaching. So that's something that we'd like to offer to everyone.
2: Awesome. Thank you. And lastly, are there any social media handles or web links you want folks to have from you or Unidos US generally?
0: Sure. So Unidos US, you can follow us on Twitter at WeAreUnidosUS, and you'll find all of our resources and information and latest updates on what's going on in Congress too. Awesome. And check our Twitter page because around mid June, we are going to be hosting a nationwide. Tell a town hall specifically on education.
1: Awesome. We'll definitely post that for our listeners.
0: Great. Thank you so much.
1: Yes, thank you again. And to our audience tuning in at home or even while at work, thank you for listening. For more resources related to today's episode, check out NotesFromTheBackpack.com. We also want to remind you that to help families ease the challenges of the pandemic, National PTA has created a COVID-19 resource webpage for parents, students, and educators. Learn more at pta.org slash COVID-19.
2: Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next season.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at National PTA and online at pta.org forward slash backpacknotes.